Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California, living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Bebe. Hey. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Great. Today we have Are you excited? Guest. Yeah, we have yes, a, a very special guest. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, we are joined by a fellow podcaster who interviews folks who are making their mark on China. In August 2019, Oscar Fuchs launched Mosaic of China, a lighthearted English language podcast. Oscar has also co-founded a Singapore-based headhunting company. He has lived three years in Japan, one year in Germany, six years in Singapore, three years in Hong Kong, and seven years (laughs) in China's mainland. He is a British national and currently resides in Shanghai. He earned a master's degree in Chinese philosophy from Shanghai Jiao Tong University. We'll never hear the end of it from Bebe now. Oscar mm-hmm. writes, plays piano, is a photographer, traveler, and linguist. He completed a 250 kilometer ultra marathon. Is that right? 250 <laughs> ultra marathon. I, I'm reading this again. Oh my gosh. In Namibia in 2009. But today he's here with us. Welcome to the bridge, Oscar. Oh my God. That's a bit of a mouthful. You've, you've done your research. My goodness. <laughs> Who is that guy you're describing? A 250 kilometer marathon. How many days does that take? <laughs> okay. Well, let me just, let me just say again, it was in 2009, guys. This is like, uh, what is it? 15 years ago. <laughs> um, but yes, it was um, a seven day event, basically a marathon every day. And you have to oh carry all of your gear with you wow. through the desert. Oh it was why, so why would stupid. you put yourself through that? Oh I don't God. know. It's <laughs> funny. It's it. funny because, well, some people they do this event and then they go on to do many, many other events. And th- these are the guys who you'll see every year go around the world doing marathons and, and ultra marathons. Mm. I I just did that one and then I basically quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand why. <laughs> wow, goodness! But it, right? You know, I had to concentrate reading your resume because, like, one thing <laughs> just didn't lead to another. You know, they were like. <laughs> was like whoa okay he's like been everywhere and he actually lived in these different countries and it was from like a degree in law and german to chinese philosophy and then all your like uh work experiences they were like all over the place so this is going to be such an interesting show (laughs) and by the way i was listening to uh your podcast and just like crackling up before i had to come here and talk to you guys (laughs) could we talk a little bit about your podcast podcast so you have a podcast <laughs> what brought you to creating mosaic of china well it was around the same time that i actually started the course so mm-hmm. i had mm-hmm. sold my company at that point and then i had the luxury of saying okay well what do i do next mm-hmm. that's when i jumped into studying the language that's when i jumped into the master's degree and that's when i jumped into podcasting so huh. i was podcasting- i was actually i was actually <laughs> going to ask how do you make a living from podcasts i guess you answered the question <laughs> oh god yeah i don't yeah the, Sorry the massive 
No, no, the, the massive podcast money that just rains down on us all, right? I mean, we're just, we're swimming in that money right now, all of us. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. You know, uh, in, the, in the past, we had a, a PhD in philosophy, and Bebe would yes. not stop talking about philosophy. Oh. So now that we have someone with a master's degree in philosophy, I think we're probably right. going to see some of the same connections. Um, before we, you know, really get too deep, well, how does it feel being mm -hmm. a guest? You're usually the host, aren't you, Oscar? Oh, man. Basically, this is the most nervous I'm ever going to be <laughs> because really? I mean first of all yes it's much easier asking questions than answering mm. them so it's not very nice being a guest when you're used to being the host <laughs> but it's definitely doubly stressful when you've just had that long introduction all these things that I've done in the past and now I can't quite remember any of them <laughs> and you're going to ask me why I did this and why I did that and I'm going to have to answer I've got no idea why I did any of that stuff <laughs> uh, so I'm going to try my best to to be you know as uh, as erudite sounding as intellectual sounding as possible even though I am <laughs> none of those things <laughs> I wanted to bring up something baby brought up before you lived in a sure. lot of places you lived in germany you lived in japan you lived in singapore you lived in hong kong you lived in shanghai why traveling all over the world like this is this your passion i know right <laughs> it doesn't understand <laughs> uh hello you've been living in different places too right yeah yeah um yeah, yeah i mean maybe i'm running away from something right <laughs> <laughs> that's not what i was indicating hmm. but no it's um I, I guess it's a passion. Um, it's not something I ever planned, honestly. I, I happened to have landed in different situations where I just sort of went with the flow. Mm. And mm -hmm. if an opportunity arose, I said yes. Uh, where others might have questioned it, I just jumped in. Um, that's mm -hmm. certainly what happened um, with most of those moves. It's, uh, it sounds, you know, really cool when you look back in the 20 years, but, but each of those moves were pretty much unplanned. Mm -hmm. uh, and then here I am, find myself in Shanghai, a place that I never thought I would live. And I've been here now eight years now. Wow. wow. The question I had uh, looking at your experiences living in different countries is I want to ask, like, can you tell other people who might be thinking about traveling and actually living in foreign countries, mm -hmm. like over the years, what to fear and what not to fear when you live in foreign countries? Because I think that fear would stop a lot of people from mm. actually, you know, going to a foreign country. Um, you might not even speak the language. You don't know about the people. Are they crazy people? You know, <laughs> as I might see on the news or are they actually a lot like me and we can actually communicate. So were you ever fearful about going to new places? I wasn't. I always um, liked the adventure. And I'm sure there are many people listening who feel the same way. But mm. I mean, yes, there are always nerves involved. I think if you didn't have some nerves, you'd be a bit of an idiot, right? <laughs> you, you have to have <laughs> some trepidation. I think mm. if I was to give any advice, it would be basically what I've learned over the years is that people are people are people. Mm. And mm. yes, there are different languages, there are different customs, there are different foods. Even once you know a language, there are different mm. ways of communicating, mm. um, right. which, you know, you, you might find strange, maybe too direct, maybe not direct enough, right? Mm. But then when it comes down to it, everyone is pretty much the same. Mm. And mm. the other lesson that I would learn is, yes, you can pick up the customs, you can pick up the language, uh, and mm. you can, you know, pick up all the things that make life a little bit smoother for you in these different places. But also, mm. at the end of the day, you've just got to be yourself. 
You know, mm. there are there are right. people who can stress themselves out thinking, oh, how am I going to fit into Japan? How am I going to fit into Germany? How am I going to fit into China? You know, I'm going to have to learn all the customs, going to read all the books. I mean, yes, mm. you can do that. And mm. it's very respectful to do it. It's respectful to understand it. It's not necessarily the secret to your mental health and well-being yeah. to try and adopt everything. You, and also, you basically have to be yourself. And also, I mean, these receiving destinations, like different countries and regions, they know foreigners, right? They have their own um, right. ability to accept and get to know people from other cultures. So like you, you are not the first foreigner to land in you know, <laughs> Japan, Germany, they know how to get used to that too. So I, I think people shouldn't worry too much, right? And any other tips for listeners who might want to just give it a try? Maybe I should just go to like, you know, uh, China or Japan, Korea for a year or so. Um, are there tips from the, you know, top of your head? Oh, I mean, my tip is to do it. Yeah. Just do it. Because, <laughs> I mean, yes, you you can, you know, learn a lot about other cultures. But actually, and probably Jason, you would agree with this at the end of the day, you end up learning a lot about your own culture, just how it's mirrored through a different culture. Absolutely. You, Especially, you know, you can say, oh, you know, I always thought that's how you do things. And now it's being done completely differently. Like, oh, yeah, well, may maybe mm. I've been complacent, you know, and then almost how if if somebody asks you okay how's it done in your country then you've got to think about yeah how the hell is it done in my country <laughs> and, and and why do we do that and mm. that's that's half of the fun of this sort of cultural communication it's not just about learning about other cultures it's about recognizing the weird things about yourself <laughs> yeah mm. I, absolutely that's true when i arrived in both korea and china my personal experience was learning what do korean people what do chinese people actually think about americans american culture uh -huh. and i was surprised at a lot of their mm. you know notions about my own so yeah it goes mm. both ways I remember somebody asking me, this is way back in Japan, they said, what is the difference between the United Kingdom, Great Britain, and England? <laughs> and that was, the, that was the first time I ever, ever thought about it. Really? I had to actually do research on my own country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you didn't just make up something on the spot? <laughs> I had to just think very, very quickly. So, oh, I'll come back to you later. And I had to do the research. <laughs> That's a very good That's question. Really... I'm busy now, though. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, funny. exactly. Style oh. it out. You're listening to The Bridge. Also, another related question on the practical side, like how how do people make a living, like just going to these different countries? I mean, if I were to go yeah. uh, to another country to, let's say I want to live there for a year, how do I find a job or things like that? Should we worry too much about it? Or do you think there are there will be agencies and um, help, you know, for people to settle down? I mean, that's a big question. We could do a whole podcast on that alone. Um, mm. but my, my general advice is to be patient and to be humble. Mm. So whenever mm. you're cracking a new market where, you know, you might be an out of the box option because you don't have experience in that market. You don't have all the language skills. Just, just be humble about that. Don't expect to mm. get something straight away. 
So aim mm. maybe to kind of be on the ground somewhere for a few months, uh, you know, build mm. your network and then make sure that you're networking with the right people that maybe something will happen in your area. Uh, maybe you have to take a career step backwards or sideways just to mm -hmm. get your first lucky break in these markets. Um, but then once mm -hmm. you have that lucky break, then then that's where you can start to at least engineer your career from there. So, so basically you're, you're looking for that lucky break first and foremost. It sounds like we should have a little savings, like before we had to for I, I had nothing <laughs> when I came bit. to Korea. Absolutely <laughs> not a penny. I was penniless. Really? I, I, I found a oh job and they, you know, the thing about it is you find a job, they fly you there. They pay for your visa oh. if you get the right job. They oh, well, they that's very up. lucky. Yeah, I had the <laughs> same thing when I came to China. Lucky. When I came to China, oh. they paid for my flight. They paid for my visa. They gave me a hotel. They helped pay my rent, like both places, both times. Well, nice. sounds like you were really lucky then. <laughs> I just looked at the options and I was like, okay, this one says they pay for like, my, you know, getting me ready. I want to change Here the I topic come. a little bit. You sure, did sure. a master's degree dissertation on Confucianism and music. And now I'm so okay. confused because <laughs> Confucius was what, like 2000 years ago. Could you share with us a little bit about what are some of the points that you made in that dissertation and how is music part of Confucianism? <laughs> wow. You're, you're going extremely deep there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is where I start to get nervous because it was a master's degree, not a PhD, guys. So but music, uh, it's part of uh, rights, right? And Confucius exactly. about rights. That's what I would start with because we have one idea of what music is these days. You know, we have our MP3 players or mm -hmm. we go to music concerts. That's not what music was back in the days of Confucius. In, mm. in the days of Confucius, you had no access to music apart from if the, the local lord put on some kind of ceremony, exactly, mm. it was rites, where they would drag you from your farm, from what you were doing, mm. and they would make you listen to this concert, which basically was just bronze bells. There would just mm. be a variety of different bells. And that and was music. I don't even think there were even flutes back then. Honestly, we're talking very, very simple music. I mean, it's not about musicology. What Confucianism basically saw music at was, was a way to bind people together through a shared sort of sense of morality and harmony and social cohesion. And then later on, the other Confucianist thinkers, they, they also extended that to a political value and a tool for political solidarity and obedience, obedience and power, especially in the imperial era, era mm -hmm. of China. So that's really what Confucianism thinks of as music. It definitely has to be absorbed in this ritualized context, and it has mm. to foment this passion for people who are, they have a shared identity and mm. a willingness to, to basically participate within this prescribed social order. Wow. You know, actually, I that doesn't remember? sound too dissimilar from a rock concert. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm just, exactly. you know, everyone gets together, becomes one mind, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And you feel the power of something when it's given to you through music, much more so than if it's delivered just as a boring lecture, right? Right, if absolutely. You know, you could read a poem yeah. or you could hear a lyric, which one's going to be more, in a song, which one's going to be more impact. People mm, go around yes. singing lyrics from songs all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even and realize it sometimes. And yes, it goes into your soul. And, you know, especially yeah. if yeah. you have it at school, you know, the, the songs that we learn at school, mm. they're the ones that you kind of are en ending up singing 30 years later. And then you realize like, oh, my God, I was being indoctrinated. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you didn't even realize what the song was all about <laughs> until Those like decades later. Blasted yeah. ABCs stuck in my head forever. <laughs> yeah, and, and also yeah. I read somewhere it's uh, there's a phrase about Confucianism music, something about uh-huh. he didn't know the taste of meat for three months because he was so into this. I think it was called Xiaoyue. It was ancient music from I think it was like the state of Qi, and it was music for the like the royalties. And Confucius was so into it, and he had you know great ability to appreciate music, and he loved it so much that he that's all he thought about, even when he tasted meat, which was not I guess an everyday part of the cuisine. He couldn't even taste it because he was so absorbed in the meat. And that phrase has been used to describe people you know who are just like you know so into something that they forget about everything else. So I guess Confucius was into music. It was really bizarre that mm. you know even back in the day of Confucius, he had such a lot to do with music. Where you look mm. at you know Socrates and Aristotle mm-hmm. and all all the Western thinkers, and actually music wasn't such a big component of their thought back then. Mm. So there was something that Confucius himself thought of much more so than was happening elsewhere, which I just found fascinating. I mean, the guy was right. (laughs) And I think maybe it's something you said about how music hits the soul. Like it's more directly, Mm -hmm. it's at a level that's above logical thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think a lot of Western ancient philosophers, they were really into uh, logical discussions. But Chinese philosophy, I feel like it's at a different place. It seeks after something that's more essential. Do you mind, Jason and Oscar, if we like broaden the topic a little bit? Go ahead. To include just Chinese philosophy in general? Go for it, So I've been wanting to ask. There you go. The grilling begins. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not grilling. I'm just really interested because Chinese philosophy, I mean, even for Chinese people, we don't dare to, you know, study it because it's so hard, especially if you read like ancient. Chinese text. But so what led right. you to Chinese philosophy? Hmm. What happened, Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> Does the phrase midlife crisis mean anything to you? Uh, sure. <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, what happened was, as you've said, I've basically been in China for eight years. I've been in Asia for 18 years. Mm. And I realized mm. that I had a very superficial knowledge and it wasn't just a philosophy. I didn't know all the different dynasties. Mm. I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know anything. And in fact, the course I did, it was actually a master's in modern China studies mm. with a major mm. in philosophy. So actually, mm-hmm. it was a mixture of philosophy, history, and literature. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was the perfect course. I could basically understand, you know, the differences between like Buddhism and Confucianism and Taoism. These are things that I'd heard for, for two decades, but never really understood what the differences were. Mm. Mm, um, but look, right. I can help anyone out there who is was just as intimidated as I was just mm-hmm. to explain in general what Chinese philosophy is. I can explain all of Chinese philosophy very, very simply <laughs> to anyone who is just as intimidated as I was when I first started this study. Basically, each philosophy appeals to different types of people. So it's extremely pragmatic. So for example, mm. if you are someone who is looking to become like, like a middle manager in your field, then Confucianism will appeal to you because Confucianism is all about taking responsibility, how you manage your seniors and juniors. Basically, it's an intellectual pursuit. And then if Confucianism, for example, doesn't answer your question, then you can dip into another school. So for example, right. Confucianism right. is not is not very heavy on how to manage peer relationships. So maybe that's when you dip into a bit of Lao Tzu. 
Mm. And for example, mm. it's not great on how to focus on, you know, mastering skills. So that's when you dip into Zhuangzi. Mm. It doesn't say too much about how to be a leader or a sovereign. That's when you dip into legalism, for example. So it's not like Western philosophy, where you have one school that has to contradict the other school. Mm. That's actually right, not right. what happened in Chinese philosophy, right? They can sort of mm. layer on top of each other. And it's not about one being better than other. It's like one, you know, showing you something which the other didn't. Hmm. Like a lot of people in China, they have nothing to do with Buddhism until they start thinking about their own death. And suddenly they, <laughs> they think a lot about Buddhism. <laughs> mm. And it's the way that all of these different schools have kind of syncretized. That, that word means they've, they've blended together in China, especially in modern China, where everyone can sort of dip into whichever school they want, depending mm -hmm. on what they need from it. Mm. it wow. Exactly. I that's think that's a really remarkable. good point. The basis of the Chinese, of Chinese culture is very inclusive. I think Chinese culture is very good at absorbing anything that's good, that can be useful. You know, now in the modern days, right, we learn from Western countries, uh, Western philosophy and ways of doing things. And back in the days, just as you said, different schools of, uh, of thoughts and philosophy could be used by people at different stages of life by different groups of people, right? You start to understand what these schools are talking about at different stages of your life and when you're facing <clears throat> different issues. So I think that's something very, very characteristic, but people might not realize about Chinese culture, how inclusive it is. You're listening to The Bridge. Well, that's a really remarkable that you've had such a, a deep dive into Chinese culture, because if you've been here a very long period of time, you're fluent in uh, German. You're also apparently fluent in Chinese. So I, no. I have a bit of a question about German. You know, you used to live okay. in Germany. You've been in Asia yeah. for almost 20 years now. Are there places in Shanghai you can go where there's like a German quarter where folks speak German? Uh, there are, but I don't go because my German <laughs> is now so rusty. Uh. I, whenever I try and speak German, some other language pops out. Um, I <laughs> I have to really, I have to go back and, and, uh, and reabsorb myself. I mean, listen, I am by no means fluent in German. Oh. I'm by no means fluent in Chinese. Oh, goodness. Basically, I, I have reached the, the stage in my life where I get to a certain point, I get to a, a certain skill and I can step back and I can say, okay, other people might be impressed by that. But I see how crap I am at those skills. <laughs> well, Jason, at least you have a lot of humility. <laughs> Jason, I was just about to say, see how humble Oscar is. Maybe he has always been this humble, but, you know, and he's generally humble. I don't know if something, if this is something you picked up in Asia or you've always been this way. Like oh, generally this is, humble. This is, this is definitely Lao Tzu. This is Lao Tzu speaking. Uh... <laughs> You have to you have to be humble so that you don't clash with other people. Wow, um, mm. it's one of the the fundamental tenets of Lao Tzu. There, <laughs> I think I think he said uh, something like, "If you put yourself in the back, you end up in the front." Something. So I, I read Lao Tzu pretty frequently. It's like if you are I mean, at listen, the bottom of the cave or something, the water flows to you. And, this is you know, this is this is culturally very English. English people, we're very good at being self-deprecating while secretly <laughs> thinking that very very dominant people. <laughs> 
Hey, I had another question a little bit about Singapore. My wife is a huge fan of Singapore and there are a lot of ties between China and Singapore. Maybe a lot of Chinese people, you know, are part of the Singaporean culture. Could you tell us mm. a, a little bit about what is the similar and what is dissimilar about Singaporean culture versus like Chinese uh, culture? Huh. Well, I mean, the obvious one is the speed of progress. I mean, Singapore it only, you know, had its independence, you know, within our lifetimes. This is like in the last 50 years or so. Mm -hmm. And they've gone from a third world country to a first world country. I mean, that's very similar to what's happening in China right now. Mm -hmm. I would say Singapore is famous for its stable government. You know, they haven't mm -hmm. had many changes of government. In fact, they've had no changes of government. Um, I think <laughs> there's a, a certain stability of government that people look at China right now as well. Um, they have a similar focus on social order, that's for sure. They have a love of food. Like, oh my God, they are constantly <laughs> eating. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of similarities. I guess I guess the differences are are also pretty obvious. I mean, the size Singapore is just one city, and I think that allows it to experiment in this petri dish. Um, of course, uh, I think China would almost love to have that that um, ability, but it, I mean, it has been able to do that on a much bigger scale than Singapore. I think you know China looks to Singapore and see what they've done, and they they try to take certain things and expand it to China. Uh, I guess I the other say, difference. You're in Shanghai. Oh, Shanghai on. is like maybe the bougiest city in uh, China's mainland. <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, I think that's pretty fair. Would you say that that yeah. is one of the something similar with Singapore a little bit? Oh, well, if you're comparing Shanghai and Singapore, then yes. I mean, <laughs> I I don't think that Shanghai is necessarily, you know, a, a good example of what China is. Just like London does not equal the UK and New York does not equal the US, right? So mm -hmm. I think... I think Shanghai maybe has more in common than New York and London than it does with the neighboring province, right? Mm. I don't tend to look at Shanghai as the bellwether of what China is. I, I definitely look at China, you know, as a whole. Shanghai, especially for, you know, someone like me, it was, it was not hard for me to easily, you know, get into life in Shanghai, having <laughs> been in Asia for so long. I mean, this is a very easy city for foreigners to live in. You, you've traveled around in China. Where have you been? Yes. I mean, especially these last few years <laughs> where none of us really could go anywhere else. Uh, so <laughs> it's never nice to say things like the positive parts about such a, a terrible situation these last few years. But, mm. but certainly, you know, from me personally, whereas I would normally, you know, if I had two weeks off, I would travel outside of the mainland, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. these last few years. I've gone to all corners of the mainland. So, wow. gosh, I mean, up to uh, Heilongjiang and then across to Xinjiang and Gansu, down mm. to Yunnan, everywhere in between. Uh, Guizhou, another good place, uh, Neimungu, New, uh, you know, in Inner Mongolia. Mm. There's a lot to explore. Oh, I'm so quite it's, jealous. You've been, wait, it sounds like you've I, been everywhere. <laughs> I was thinking about that, Jason. I yeah. was secretly thinking Jason must be jealous so listening jealous. to this. It's like, like, were you uh, just traveling or was there like work involved? You were just like, you know. Yeah, I mean, some of them were to do with the podcast. So, so Mosaic of China, it's not Mosaic of Shanghai. Um, I interview <laughs> all kinds of, all kinds of people from across China. So that's been really great because it does allow you to to see a city from a tourist angle, but then you get to mm. know one little layer underneath when you interview someone from that city. So now, that's been 
That's been great. A lot of uh, tourism as well. Just when things get tough in your city, it's always nice to try and find countryside, especially, right? Especially when you live in a urban jungle like Beijing or Shanghai. Yeah. You know, I was listening to episode 33, I think, on your podcast. You had this one episode about destinations. And you interviewed um, uh, or you had segments about with different guests, you know, um, who thought about what was their favorite place, uh, especially in China. And there's this this lady. I don't remember her name. She was she was based in Shanghai, too. And she said she traveled to Ningxia. And um, uh, yes, and yes, yes, yes. She said before she traveled in Ningxia, she had this uh, impression <laughs> that people thought um, Shanghainese were not a- as friendly. And she was like, what are you talking about? People in Shanghai are so friendly. And then she's like, when I traveled to Ningxia, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like when she had a chance to compare like to the people from different parts of China, she realized like how much more like friendly or generous the people of, um, I guess, northwestern of part of China. Right. And I, right. I cracked up <laughs> when I listened to this, <laughs> not to say anything bad about, you know, Shanghainese. They are very nice people. Um, but also the, I guess, the emphasize the uh, enthusiasm and just the friendly and inclusive. Oh, I, I want to know um, more about a practical example yeah. of how someone in Ningxia is spectacularly like polite or kind <laughs> or whatever. What does that they're, mean? They're just genuine. Like they're happy to see you. Like people from the culture is different. You'd go to different parts of people. The people give you a different feel. And this is actually something I want to ask Oscar and also Jason, you know, as you live spend more time in China. So Oscar, it's your eighth year in China. Do you feel differently the longer you stay in the country? Because in one of the episodes, you were chatting with a guest and you guys were talking about you know, differences between Beijing and Shanghai. And you guys w- said, you know, something like, oh, you know, in Beijing, I feel like people are more straightforward. You know, they'll say what they think. And then maybe in Shanghai, people will be more gilded in their speech or action. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like they're more thoughtful slash calculating, <laughs> I guess. But maybe <laughs> right. that's the wrong word to use. But people from northern parts of China, Beijing included, they're, you know, they're, they kind of they'll slap you on the back and say things. But it takes time to notice differences in in culture in China. How long did it take you to, you know, feel the subtle differences? Well, let me start by just explaining what you heard in the Mosaic of China podcast, because basically I ask every guest the same 10 questions Hmm. at the Mm -hmm. end of every episode. And then one of those 10 questions is, for example, on destinations. And then because I have 30 episodes per season, then I can put them into a compilation where you hear 30 people answer the same question. So what you heard actually wasn't a real episode. It was a compilation of right. 30 episodes. So Jason, we should to answer that. your see <laughs> to answer your question though, I think you're right. I think especially when you are coming into China where you haven't got much knowledge of the country, you're only listening to what you hear on the news. Mm-hmm. You feel that it's this one monolithic place. And then of course when you come here you realize no, it's not just a difference between cities. It's not just a difference between 
in regions. It's, of course, a difference between individuals as well. And you can have mm. one person down your street who is one way and the other person's completely different. So any kind of generalization is always tricky. And that's not just China. I mean, literally, you go to any country uh, and they'll say, mm. oh, God, you know, the people in North Cyprus, much, much, you know, <laughs> harder than South. Like every country has their own little thing. And I just chose that mm. country randomly. You name it. So China is by no means any exception. And that's that's the fun of it. And yes, it does take some time. But then mm -hmm. some things are very obvious, like the different foods. You mm -hmm. know, when, when you go to the north, there's a lot more noodles. When you go to the south, a lot more rice. Very easy to notice that. Right. Just the way people and talk. Portions. <laughs> the portions are so portions. different. Like in Heilongjiang, the northwestern part of China, massive, they serve, massive I know, they, it's like pots of food. And then in Shanghai, <laughs> seriously, because maybe it's so cold in the wintertime, like they, they have these really rich and appetizing just pots of uh, dish. And then you go to Shanghai, their plates are like tiny. They're all like appetizers. So. Well, look, this is this is this is Shanghai. Shanghai it sees itself as this, you know, very sophisticated city. We have these mm. sophisticated little plates. All the food is very fancy. It's it's not necessarily what I would say is a north versus south thing. That's definitely a a city thing. And and Shanghai, mm -hmm. it's its own. It's its own animal. It's a city of commerce. It's a city of mm. mercantilism. It's always been open to other cultures, much more than Beijing or any other place. Mm. So it always, it always has this slight veneer, which mm. it, you know that's what you have to crack to understand the Shanghainese. And you know, mm. I, I I do agree that you know when you go to the north people are a lot more straightforward. But that that in itself can be tricky for a Brit, you know. Brits are quite like Shanghainese people. We're, we like being polite and we like, you know, all the all the airs and graces and we don't often share our true feelings. It's very similar uh. to Shanghainese or Japanese, for example. So, mm. I mean, that's probably why I'm quite comfortable in a place like Shanghai. If, if I was to go to Beijing, it might be very mm. confronting for a fragile British person like myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess the personal distance part. Oh, God. More comfortable I think in Shanghai, right? I think that's universal. No, I think in Shanghai maintain they are physical distance. No, 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 no. They are they are very very close. I think each culture has their own notion of of privacy, right? When it comes to physical distance, <laughs> and it's a generalization. But Europeans they like to have their space. Okay. Chinese people, north or south, they don't care about that. <laughs> so that's Oscar that's is one like, of the he things. He just touched oh. me. He just touched my oh. hand oh. <laughs> while talking to me. <laughs> oh. This is, this is where fragile Oscar still comes out, even though I've I've been in Asia for so long. That's there's, there's a few things that you can never get used to. <laughs> You're listening to the bridge. Well, you go back I, to I, England pretty often, I'm imagining, for family and things. What is that like? Is, the, is the, you have a reverse cultural encounter or does it do things seem weird to you now? 
I mean, I haven't been for four years, um, so it's a little bit tricky. I used to be able to say, yes, I understand what's going on in the UK, but uh, these days I'm not entirely sure because I haven't stepped foot for so long. But let's just, let me answer your question. In normal times, which, which hopefully we are going back to at this point, in normal times, yes, I mean, it's what I said before. There, there are parts of England that I love, and then I can sort of go into like a warm bath. So like, ah, oh, this is England. I know exactly how things work here. And there are other things things where because I've lived overseas, I can see it and say, no, why do you do it like that? There's no reason <laughs> for you to do it. So like what? <sighs> Any particular examples? The way people um, brew tea or? <laughs> it, oh, that's, it's a good question, actually. What do I mean by that? I guess it, a lot of it is in the way that we communicate with each other, the styles of communication. Like why, why do you say, would you mind very much if you just put off the light? Like just, why don't you say turn off the light? It's <laughs> 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 like... That's 20, 20 words. You've saved a lot of time there. Well, I think I and have everyone an example knows. for America. In America, I, yeah. I, when I first came to China, I was very surprised that people didn't have to buy something in order to sit in a space, at least in Beijing. So you go into what like a, a KFC oh. or a McDonald's or even a restaurant, and some people there will not purchase anything, but they will be seated in a in a place in the re you know maybe using their laptop or whatever. When I first arrived, mm -hmm. I was quite shocked. Oh my goodness, this seems so inappropriate. Let's now, report to the manager. <laughs> yeah, almost. I almost in that you know in my first no, couple of years. But now I go back even more. They will bring in a drink from somewhere yeah, yeah, else and sit in your somewhere. restaurant. Oh, they'll bring out a picnic. Yeah, like a whole like group of people from another province. Yeah. Just like they'll take out their own food and set it all over the table and eat. But when I went back to the United States, I was in San Francisco, and you know they were like, "Can may I please your, use your restroom? You have to buy something." And it's like, "Whoa, wow. this is like I understand wow. now. I actually prefer the Chinese style, where it's just like, okay, everyone." can just kind of use whatever. It was very shocking I mean, to me going back to the US I, and experiencing that. I hear you. At the same time, again, I'm always scared of generalizing. It could have been that you had this one grouchy person or you had this... <laughs> You had this person who happened to be grouchy on that one particular day. I mean, mm. I do think you're right. In general, it is rude to to not to not buy something if you're going to use a toilet. But I think also you can't just generalize like that either. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit too simplistic, right? And also in in China, like the shops are so crowded. I don't think people selling See, things can yeah. keep track of everything. Yeah. Like they probably can't tell. <laughs> like, did he just come in, or has he been sitting there for two hours without getting a drink? So. <laughs> You know, there's just so many, the turnaround for customers is so high. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I never really thought about it. <laughs> no, neither have I. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Can I go back to philosophy for a bit? <laughs> sure, I felt like I didn't oh, have enough uh, more philosophy. <laughs> dose of that. Maybe not about the philosophy in itself, but like spending a year or two studying Chinese philosophy, did it help you to understand China better? Hmm. Like something about uh, the, the DNA of China, like the core of China, did it help you to, to feel China at that level? I mean, I think it did. Uh, I guess mm. the way that I would say it is it put into words the things that I had already noticed and experienced on a visceral level, having mm. lived in China and other Asian countries for so long. I mean, there are certain, I, I guess it's not just about China, it's, it's about the way that the world perceives China and the way that China perceives the world as well. Mm. 
I think that's what um, was more eye-opening, just the prism which both sides are looking through when they are trying to understand each other or purposefully not understanding each other. Mm. I think Mm. that's the side that I think allowed me the language to really think about that in a deeper way, as opposed to just getting frustrated and like just, you know, pulling my hair out Mm. as to the state of the world these days. So I I guess that's (laughs) Mm -hmm. the way I would answer your question. We would have no hair left. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, you say that you don't really understand as much like contemporary like relations in the UK, but could you tell us a little bit about maybe 20 years ago, you know, or maybe when you talk to your family on the phone or your friends in in the Mm. UK on the phone, how do you perceive people seeing China versus how do you experience China and your understanding of being here? Well, I mean, it's going back to what I said before, how people are people are people. And I think, Mm. you know, if you look at the news and you're not based in China, you only really see the negative news. And I think it's getting increasingly the same way in China. You you only really see the negative news of outside of China. And there's little nuance on either side. And I think that's dangerous because, of course, what we're doing, even just talking about, you know, silly things like restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, in this podcast, it's it's just those everyday things, the everyday mm-hmm. experiences, the way that you build relationships with people, that's that's the same in China as it would be in anywhere, uh, mm. any other country mm. around the world. So I think that's what's lost on both sides. It's the humanity of it, right? Mm. People are people. When it comes down to it, it's it's about the silly conversations, just like what you and I are having right now, guys. It's just mm. talking mm. about people in restaurants, talking about the connection you have with other human beings. And then you realize, yeah, I mean, there are different systems of government. There are big geopolitics out there. Mm. But then when it comes down to life in China, mm-hmm. you know, mm. there's really no difference. And that's, I think, what's what's hard to convey because they only see, you know, oh, today there was this happened, today that happened, today yeah. there's this argument. Right. So, so just to bring so- it down to the human level, that's, that's basically what I think my project is all about. And mm-hmm. I'm probably it's similar to you. Yeah, I'm yes. glad that there sometimes, are other people out there tackling this as well. Sometimes mm. I wish that like national leaders, like they could just melt into the common populace, like, you know, people like us <laughs> and maybe chat for a bit uh, because they're so up there. I think they, they, they've they become detached from what life is really like, what people truly need. But, you know, that's for another uh, huge um, topic. Has yeah. your family from the UK, like family or relative, ever come to China to visit? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, my my family, they've got used to the idea that I'm living overseas now. It's been so long. So they Mm, they're not happy for me just to you. They've given up. (laughs) But they you know, it's a nice excuse for them to come and and explore other parts of the world. I I definitely have the adventurous gene from from my father. He he always is urging me to live in more and more crazy locations so he can come visit. So (laughs) where does he live? Well, he's so he lives in London, uh, where I'm from. But his background is, and you know, my my family background is that he was born in what was then Czechoslovakia, mm. and then oh. when the Soviets uh, invaded in '68, he came to the UK as a refugee. So he's mm. someone who is he understands about moving around, and and I think he, um, you know has always said, look, the world is a big place and and just follow Mm. wherever the wind takes you. That's certainly what he did Mm. um, when he followed his family to the UK. That's the reason I talk with this silly accent. 
<laughs> Silly accent? Oh. Ba- well, you know, um, Chinese so- people love the British accent. <laughs> yeah. And also, so you've been in China for eight years now. Has your dad been like urging you to go off to somewhere else so he can visit? Like, it's been eight years now, son. Time to the Move wind to Nepal. to somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I think I think now he, he'd rather I went back to the UK, even if just for a visit. So I'm uh, going to visit later this year. Good, I think once good. we see each other again, I think it'll be back to... Uh, uh, back to the adventure times, but it it has been tough, not just for foreigners, of course, but for you know mm-hmm. for everyone in China that it's been so tricky to uh, to cross the borders in the last few years. So now is a mm-hmm. is a great time for us to look to the future, right? You're listening to the bridge. Could you tell us one or two memories of, of your experience living in China that stick out? Maybe something a little weirder than normal, other than just going to the <laughs> restaurant down the street. Normal. Yeah, something special. Oh. This is a problem because I mean I don't know now because I've been here so long. Like this, nothing, nothing is nothing normal and everything is normal. Um, I mean, look, this is the thing about let's say Shanghai for example, because I've lived in Shanghai. I spent most of my time in Shanghai, and just Shanghai is one of those places where I'm sure Beijing is similar. That every day you walk down the street and there's always something which surprises you Hmm. and i'm here eight years and that's still the case you know it Hmm. could be anything and this is one of the questions i ask on my podcast Hmm. and i I always get interesting answers be it a turtle on a stick or you know be it (laughs) someone randomly like building something on the street with an oxyacetylene torch and you have to Hmm. walk past and this is like in a big global city. Mm. Uh, that's, this is the kind of, of energy and excitement that mm. I would definitely miss if I left Shanghai. And I don't mm. think you can replicate it in many other parts of the world. I've definitely um, seen so, the turtle on a stick where they have it hanging yeah. there by the strings. It's a living turtle, baby. It doesn't have Wait, any. Yeah. A, yeah. And they hang it. food or what? Well, to as... sell for people to make food, presumably. Oh. Summer and I oh. buy them and we release them oh. in lakes oh. and things, actually. Right, right, right. Oh, hang on, hang on, guys. I'm not sure you should do that. Because that's not that's not good for the uh, the local uh, flora and fauna. <laughs> too late, too late. Sorry, Be- Beijing Chaoyong Park. There's a turtle running around Ruined somewhere there. By the turtle that Jason and his wife set free. <laughs> There's a, a new a new invasive species. Thank you, Jason. Sorry. Oh, Sorry. You know, I think the park wasn't natural to begin with, Oscar. <laughs> no, true, true, true. I mean, it doesn't See, really answer your question because it's not a what's the weirdest thing. It's just that everyday excitement to be in this bustling city that's the thing that i would say hey have you made it to disneyland you got disneyland over there yes well my my husband actually works at disneyland so (laughs) it's very easy for me to go (laughs) we have universal studio in beijing now so i haven't gone there too oh you've been there i haven't Uh, even been there and i live here wait see what are you doing with your time have you ever lived in beijing Do you know what? I've or never lived visit. in Beijing. I've I've only visited mm-hmm. it and, and only a handful of times. Um, whenever I go there, I get more and more sort of like, oh, this is a city that I don't know enough about and I, I should come back. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then another two years go by and I haven't been. So yeah, I'd love to come up and see you guys. It's definitely a city that I need to know more about. Yeah, I've only been well, to Shanghai so- for a few visits and I, I don't know, honestly know that much about it either. It's quite different. I mean, they're both yeah. modern, modern cities, but the feel is very different. I mean, I personally just this like Beijing is my spot. You know, I, I've, mm. I've taken roots here and I want to stay here. It's got this more steady feel 
You know, it's like like Beijing has deep thoughts, and it has right. deep thoughts that it doesn't really say out loud. You know, but Shanghai is like she's always chatting. <laughs> yes, she's, you know, she has exciting new ideas, and also um, I don't know, fun creativity. You know, anything that that will please people, that people can be interested in. But uh, but slightly, slightly、thing. more superficial. Yeah, slightly more surface level in slightly? Shanghai. Slightly. Slightly. Well, oh goodness! Let's in, not in insult Shanghai. In a good way. In a good way. Yes, in a good way. We love you, Shanghai. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've loved to travel to Shanghai. It's so exciting as a you know travel destination. I don't know what it feel like if I had to live there. I, I just feel like you have to be you know rich to be really happy in it Shanghai. It has that that appearance. When I went go down to the Bund, I just instantly feel like okay, this is I can't even、uh, afford to be walking here. <laughs> I'm losing money somehow. <laughs> this is this is where even even if you are Chinese living in China, you can still be a tourist in a place like Shanghai. Right. Because right. I mean, yes, I only go to the Bund when I have guests in town. You know,、mm. I don't go、uh, there very often myself. And I, you know, just like any city in China, there are very posh places, but then there are very local places, and、yeah. and and Shanghai、right. is no exception. You can easily find a great cheap noodle and. And bowed the places. That's what they're all. They're all here as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. In fancier parts of Shanghai, it's like the air will be telling you you are too poor. <laughs> where, are the, where are these local street side kind of you know old schools local Shanghai kind of things、good. from a hundred years ago in kind of neighborhoods? That's what I want to find. They're、but、there. Yeah, they're, they're often not in specific neighborhoods, but they are. If you are in in a big street, then just、mm. take a few parallel streets,、mm. go down you know the little streets that you know. Like why? Why am I going down here? And that's when you'll find them.、So、yeah, I remember. Just keep on exploring. I went to this. I was in Shanghai for like、uh, some kind of event, and、uh, my husband and I we went just to, for food, you know, like、um, a bowl of noodles or like dumplings. And we went to this like really local district, just、uh, you know where the everyday people live. And we found this little shop. It's tiny, but they had the best、uh, wontons. Hundun. <laughs>、um, there's like dumplings with really thin skin. It was like ten kuai a bowl, and they were, you know, they were huge, filled with like meat and vegetables. I'm like. You know, my sal- saliva is like spilling out <laughs> while I'm talking about this. It, w- it was really good and really cheap. It was for the locals. It wasn't for like you know fancy meals for the tourists. But you can find yeah, those. Exactly.、Uh... You can find them everywhere. Exactly. Try to avoid all the glitz and glamour sometimes, and, gotta... and just you、yeah. know find out the real people. You're listening to the bridge. I got a question bo- for both of you because you know each kind of city in China has its own like unique noodle food. Usually,、mm. like Wuhan has rogamian, and you know、right. Beijing has Lao Beijing noodles. Is there a noodle that is special to Shanghai? Oh, I didn't、yeah. think so. Oh, is there? I I I think so because、um, you、what、remember the expo that was what twenty ten the expo、yes. World Expo in Shanghai. So we spent like ten days、uh, working there, and every day after work, our you know boss and with the whole team, we would go just hunt for food all over Shanghai. And they had this,、um, they call it like some kind of yellow fish noodles.、Hmm. So you would have like、uh. thin noodles in soup, and then there's like fish. Like half of a fish in the noodles,、mm. and、um, that, it was actually might, very unique. That might not have been a Shanghai food. This is I'm not an expert. Something else, but、uh-huh. that might have been from like 
a neighboring province uh, mm. <laughs> because actually sh- Shanghai food hasn't got that much fish, even though we are here on the coast, mm. which is kind mm-hmm. of bizarre. I don't know much about Shanghai food. I, I'm not a big fan, honestly speaking, but at least but, you can get food from all around the world. That's the right, beauty of Shanghai, right? right? Mm. And that and includes I Chinese s- noodles. I especially love the sweet and sour flavor from like Shanghai or uh, areas close to Shanghai. I mean, this, wait, this is wait. making me all oh, I think Bebe is getting really hungry all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, I think I think basically you like you need to go to An, you need to go to Anhui. I think that's that's the cuisine you're talking about. Yeah. Well, anyhow, <laughs> yep. I, we had so much good food when we were in Shanghai. The Hong Shao Rou, like you know, sweet sour yes. pork, but not the ones we get in 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 uh, in the U.S. But anyhow. So um, I have an important question too. Oh, that's have not to related this to the food. Last important question. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so for your podcast, is it easy for you to find guests for your show, like in China, um, or for I'm asking this also for our listeners? Is it easy to feel connected? You know, when you come to China, as you know, from from somewhere like a foreign country. Actually, it's a good question because part of the ethos of Mosaic of China is the idea of this interconnectivity. That's kind of why I have、mm. the image of this mosaic. Things are connected. So, like, just、mm-hmm. like one one person from one field will say a similar answer somehow to somebody from a different country in an entirely different field. As、mm. in terms of finding guests, there's also a connectivity because what happens in the mosaic is that somebody from season, let's say season three, which is the current season,、mm. at the、mm-hmm. end of their episode, they nominate somebody to be the guest in season four. Hmm. So、oh. that's actually how the mosaic is built. The, the mosaic is built、wow. from referrals from people in season one, many of whom were actually friends of mine. To now, I'm producing season four, and they are the friends of friends of friends, and they are all around China. So that's actually、um, how I have curated this mosaic. Well, that's fantastic. Jason, fascinating. We can steal ideas from Oscar. <laughs> Sorry, Oscar. We're stealing your program.、System. Yeah, and he's got this、uh, questions at the end. We can all do that, right? I got it. He's I gotta, smart. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining the show, Oscar. It was really great to have you on. And I guess we can find you Spotify, Apple, those kind of programs. Everywhere that you Everywhere. are, if you're listening to this podcast, then pause, find Mosaic of China, and that's that's where I'll be. Great. All right. Are、hey. we wrapping up now? We are wrapping up, baby. Oh,、uh, okay. We well, just got you, started.、Oscar. I know. <laughs> We just got started. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, and maybe, hey, someday, let's let's do this again. Let's just chat, right? It's so nice. Thanks, baby. Thank you, Jason. 